Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Hi and hello, football fans. Your old pal Dave Damashek here. Make sure you check out the Dave Damashek football program. You can watch it on YouTube, NFL.com. You can listen to it on iTunes or Stitcher or NFL.com slash podcasts. We look at the world of pro football and the game called life. And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. Move the sticks on a Monday after Christmas. I am uh, I'm joining you from, from home today, Buck. I know you're, you're doing the Lord's work in the studio. I'm currently in my daughter's room. <laughs> first time I've ever done a podcast while staring at bumblebees, uh, flowers. What else we got in here? Uh, we definitely have a lot of stuffed animals. And uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of butterflies as well. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, interesting setup you you did describing <laughs> butterflies and bumblebees. How was your Christmas, man? How was it? Man, it was cool. It was uh, it, it was kind of chaotic going back and forth from East Coast back here to be in studio for Blitz and then going back. But uh, overall, man, it was a pretty good Christmas. Got a chance to watch a lot of ball, football and basketball, and I'm excited because we are in the midst of the bowl season. I think there are three bowl games on today. You and I are traveling all over this week to kind of see some of the top guys participate, and then it kind of culminates at the weekend. We get a chance to see the playoff games where you're going to see Alabama and Washington. I'm going to check out Clemson versus Ohio State. Uh, a lot of good ball to look at. All right, we got tons of NFL stuff to get to, Buck, but first of all, i gotta, I got to come with the, come clean here, man. This is – we get a lot we, – we have cool jobs, right? I mean, yep. we, get, we get paid to watch football, and I, I never complain about it, but – there's even some parts of the job that are cooler, cooler than others, and I don't like you know, I don't like being away from my family. That sucks, but I will say, going on this bull swing every year is my absolute favorite thing that I get to do. I mean, where does it rank up for you? To me, I, I, I get a chance to go. These guys I've been watching them on tape for a little while now. Get to go see them live in person, which is a huge help in the in the evaluation process. While I'm on planes, I'm watching tape on my on my iPad. 
uh, getting more work done. And it's just, you know, hopping around, you run into a bunch of different coaching friends that you have at different places. You'll see some scouting buddies at some of these games. I just, man, for, for the amount of football we can cram into this next week, I, it's awesome. No, it is pretty awesome. Uh, it's pretty awesome to have kind of like a up close and like a, a, a front seat to some of the best players that we're going to talk about throughout the spring uh, to see some of these quarterbacks. Obviously, I'm chasing quarterbacks hard because I'm going to go see North Carolina's Mitch Trubisky play against Stanford, and then I'll also see Deshaun Watson and JT Barrett participate in the Fiesta Bowl. And so you just know that we're going to talk about those guys, and there's something to being able to see those guys up close and personal, to see how they interact with their teammates, to see how they handle uh, pressure situations, from the sideline, being able to see things that you can't necessarily glean from the TV screen. So, yeah, I'm excited. But more importantly, I'm excited to talk to the scouting buddies and see if they can catch me up on some of the guys that I've missed <laughs> so I can kind of um, get them to speed and kind of talk like I know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, no question, man. It's, uh, it's a fun time. Well, let's, uh, let's jump in on some of these NFL things, Bucky. I thought the really, you know, we'll get to the playoffs and where that looks in just a minute. But, man, two quarterbacks, two young quarterbacks having great years – um, both both suffering season-ending injuries. Man, that was a bummer watching Carr and Mariota uh, go down. I, I guess you probably have to look at the Raiders and say that that pretty much does it for them, and they're going to get in the postseason, but I can't see them being a legitimate threat without their signal caller. Yeah, it's unfortunate that both of these teams suffer injuries at the quarterback position. Uh, you talk about both guys playing well and kind of coming into their own. Derek Carr was playing like an MVP candidate. He was really thriving, driving that Raiders offense, and this is a team that is built – around their offense their offense is really what kind of carries the squad and so without him it certainly makes it tough Matt McGloin has played some games he's shown flashes being kind of like a solid backup but to put the onus on him to leave a playoff run that's certainly a lot of pressure for Tennessee Marcus Mariota even though they weren't playing necessarily well against the Jacksonville Jaguars I was optimistic and hopeful that maybe he could lead a comeback I wanted to see what that team looked like in the postseason because I believe they're a team that is built the right way when you look at how they're constructed, how he's been coming on, how the coaching staff has molded that offense around his talents. It's unfortunate that both of these guys are done for the year, but hopefully they have a very, very speedy and healthy recovery, and we'll get a chance to see them pick up where they left off this season. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Mariota had, uh, you know, really when you look at it in the totality of the year at sophomore campaign, he's like 23 years old, but he's still just a young kid. 26 touchdowns, nine picks, uh, over 3,400 yards in a 15-game span there. So that is really, really strong. The thing that maybe worried me a little bit about them, if they were to get in the postseason, is when you looked at their last three games, okay? Denver, obviously a good defense. He's 6 of 20. KC, a good defense. You know, he's okay. 19 of 33, a touchdown, a pick. Actually, no touchdowns in a pick. And then Jacksonville, who has a sneaky good defense. Terrible year for them, but their defense has been outstanding. I think they're like the sixth-ranked defense in the league. Uh, he again eight for twenty for ninety nine yards. So I mean he was not necessarily getting hot as you'd like down the stretch, but uh, with the way they can run the football and play defense, I thought that would have been a dangerous team if they could have snuck in. Yeah, I thought it would have been a dangerous team they could sneak in because they could run it and they also could play defense. The thing that you wanted to see from Mariota was how was he going to respond to a playoff atmosphere, to the pressure of the environment. You allude to his struggles the last three games. Yeah, like when the, the stakes start to rise and you play against the better teams, you want to see how long does it take him to adapt and adjust. And we can say against Denver and Kansas City and Jacksonville, he wasn't playing his best. But I think those games would prepare him to be kind of like a clutch performer down the road 
when he has opportunities with a better supporting cast, particularly a wide receiver. Um, he should be able to go. But it's unfortunate for both of these guys. I am curious, though, because I think this will be telling for the Oakland Raiders. If Oakland is able to win a playoff game without Derek Carr in the postseason, I think it says a lot about the coaching job that Jack Del Rio has done. It also will say a lot about the supporting cast that is in place for Derek Carr because if they can win with a backup quarterback, I think we can kind of change some of the narrative about Derek Carr necessarily just driving team on his own rush. They have some nice weapons on the outside. It's a very nice car to drive. Let's see if Matt McGloin can drive it, not to the level that Derek Carr did, but drive it well enough to get him to the championship game. And by the way, circling back, on what we were just talking about a minute ago, Jacksonville Jaguars, Buck, they have the number four defense in the NFL this year. Yeah. How is that possible? How do you win two games? with? Well, look at the team right above them, the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals have the number three defense in terms of I'm talking about yards per game. Uh, number three in the league, they have the number, I think they're the number eight offense in the league. They're under 500. You know, I think it always comes down to turnovers. It comes down to the giveaways. Without having the stats right in front of me, I think with Jacksonville, they've been really killed with the turnovers. Uh, Blake mm-hmm. Bortles turning the ball over, putting the defense in bad position, and some of his turnovers have led to pick sixes. And so everything in football is complimentary. Your offense has to do a good job of taking care of the ball, scoring points when they have the chance. Defense score, keeps the score down, and then your special teams provide some added playmaking ability. With Jacksonville, they haven't gotten what we thought they would get from the offense. Because of that, that's why they're sitting at, what is it, 2-12, 2-13, wherever yeah, they are right it's, now. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a rough year. I think they maybe just got their third win third the win. other day. Uh, yeah, they're 3-12. and 12. But, uh, yeah, long year for them. Uh, a couple of quarterback situations, Bucky. We know what we're talking about as we get towards the draft. Teams are going to be in the quarterback market. And you got the usual suspects, uh, you know, that, that'll be up there picking towards the top. San Francisco and, and the Cleveland, I think we can agree, are, are going to be in the quarterback market to some degree. Um, there's going to be some other teams that are obvious. But the two different situations I was just looking at when I was kind of going through the league that I'm going to be fascinated by in the offseason. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, who we've talked a little bit about before, has a big number coming up. They have a decision to make there. We'll get to him in just a second. But to me, maybe the most fascinating one is is what the heck is Minnesota going to do? You know, hopefully Teddy Bridgewater is going to be you know return 100% healthy after that. Just you know, what was heard was just a gruesome injury. Um, hopefully he's going to be back and be okay. He's just 24 years old, but but quietly Sam Bradford has had a heck of a year. I mean, he's already, he's over 3,600 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, four picks. He's been extremely accurate. Um, he's played well. He's only 29 years old. So what do they do going into the next year? Let's assume Teddy Bridgewater is healthy. What the heck are they going to do? You know, I, th- I think they're fortunate because the situation puts them where they have one high-priced quarterback, a veteran in Sam Bradford, and one guy that's still playing on his rookie deal in Teddy Bridgewater. What they have the opportunity to do is really take their time in making a decision on Teddy Bridgewater when he comes back. They don't have to rush him onto the field because they do have the luxury of having a veteran in place who has played well and has been able to kind of get some things done. The thing that will change maybe for Minnesota is who's going to be the offensive coordinator. And when you bring in prospective offensive coordinators, because North Turner left in the middle of the year, what do they think about the quarterbacks that you have? Is it still a situation where Pat Shermer is going to be the offensive coordinator going forward? Does he feel good about Sam Bradford being the quarterback? Can they build something around Sam Bradford and surround him around the weapons that they need? And I also think their quarterback decision coincides with the decision that they have to make with Adrian Peterson. Adrian Mm -hmm. Peterson is an older running back. He has a big number. Uh, From what we've seen from Adrian Peterson of late, we can say that maybe it's time to move on and have a clean break. And so 
if you're going to reboot the offense, this is the perfect time to do it. You have to make a decision which of those quarterbacks you believe. But I actually believe that you can keep Sam Bradford for another year. And it kind of if he earns the right to win the job and then he plays well, I think you kind of stay with the hot hand. I like Teddy Bridgewater and what he's done. But if Sam Bradford outplays and they're able to win games with Sam Bradford playing at the high, efficient level that he's shown, why not roll with him? I'll tell you what, the other thing with, with Sam Bradford, I want to give him credit because we've all kind of had our lines about him in the past, about durability issues, and it's just a matter of, it's not, you know, it's not if, it's when he's going to break down. Um, he showed some tremendous toughness this year, Buck. You talked about Adrian Peterson slowing down and the decision they have to make. This is the worst rushing team in the NFL. I mean, dead last. So you've got no running game to take the pressure off your quarterback. A poor um, offensive they, line. The offensive line is bad. It, and that's the other thing that's going to be fascinating about this offseason. I haven't looked at the list of free agent offensive linemen, but, man, I would love to be representing them because there is a tremendous need for several of these teams to upgrade the offensive line and the draft as it stands right now. From what I've seen and from the folks I've talked to, it's not a good year. So, you know, those free agent offensive linemen are going to make a whole lot of money as there's several teams that need an upgrade, and I think Minnesota, you could put them up there with the Rams as, as being right there at the top. Denver Broncos, uh, yeah, some of the other teams. To get stronger in that area. Yeah, there are a bunch of teams. And, you know, Minnesota for a team that we thought was right at the cusp, and I understood why they made the trade because they had to give their team hope. They needed a quarterback. They didn't have one on the roster. I mean, Sean Hill wasn't going to give them an opportunity to really make a strong run. So they go for Sam Bradford. But now when you look at their roster and you look at where they sit, their offensive line is a little disappointing. They need to get better play from their wide receivers, particularly their number one pick, Laquan Treadwell. They have to look at some of the situations along their front line. I still think they're in that window two or three years where they can make a playoff push or a Super Bowl run. It's important, though, that they're able to fix that offensive line because without being able to run the football and alleviate some of the pressure on Sam Bradford and even Teddy Bridgewater, it's going to be hard for both of those quarterbacks to get them over the threshold because they're good. I don't know if they're necessarily great when it comes to being franchise quarterbacks that can kind of do everything on their own accord. And I think when you look around the league, it's something that you've a point you've been really nailing home all year um, with all these pass rushers switching over to, to rush from the left side, the importance of having that, that right tackle to go along with your left tackle. It's no longer, you know, it's, it's kind of antiquated thinking to say we can just be a, you know, strong on, on pass protection on the left side and we're going to get after people in the run game on the right side. You better have two dancing bears out there on the edges to deal with what's coming at you from a pass rush standpoint. So, I think you're going to see more and more teams looking, doing what, what Tennessee did last year. Yep. You have a Taylor Lewan, and you say, that's great, but we need to go invest a high pick on somebody to man the other side. Um, and I think you're going to see that in the future here. The problem is I just don't know if we're going to have the dudes available in the draft to, to pull that off. No, I, I completely agree with you. I, I agree that you have to figure out what do you want to do with the offensive line, and it changes the way that we look at the right tackle position. That guy used to be the mauler brawler, the road grader, the guy that just kind of created push in the run game, and he was okay against the pass. But now you, in essence, have to play with two left tackles on offense because teams are loading up those pass rushes from both sides. And we're also seeing defenses not only have two, but three guys that they can throw at you in waves. And so – they're intent on knocking the quarterback down. And so your first job is to make sure that you protect the quarterback. And then looking at this offensive tackle class, I don't know in the draft if you're going to be able to get one of those guys that you can plug and play and say this shores up our biggest hole. But 
I also don't know which is going to be available in free agency. It'd be fascinating to see how these guys try to piecemeal these offensive lines because it's a huge need for several teams. I just don't know the supply and demand. I don't know if the supply is going to meet the demand that's available. I'll tell you what it also does, Bucky, is it makes a team like the Miami Dolphins look incredibly smart uh, for taking Laramie Tunsil last year. Don't overthink I mean, it. I, don't overthink, don't overthink it. it. <laughs> and look, they, they played him at guard for a year. The Baltimore Ravens did it back in the day when they picked Jonathan Ogden. You know, they had uh, Tony Jones there, but they didn't worry about it. He, he was the best player they took him. And obviously, Ogden went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Now, I don't know. I'm not saying Tunsil's going to be Jonathan Ogden, but I think he is extremely talented. I think he's been a huge factor in how they're running the ball down people's throats with how well he's played at guard. And I think next year you're going to see him kick out to left tackle, and he's going to be significantly better than any tackle in, in the upcoming draft. So, they got their guy. They got their left tackle a year early and uh, got got some production out of him at a different position this year. You know, you can never go wrong when you think about taking the best player available. A lot of times people think that's just like scout speak or coaches talk that we're just kind of hyping it, kind of hyping it up. But it, it actually is not about necessarily going to your needs, but it's finding players that have these transcendent qualities, particularly at the top of the board. And when Miami Dolphins took Laramie Tunsil, they didn't necessarily have a need for an offensive lineman at that point. But he was the best player on the board, clearly. They add him to the mix, and then you put it on the coaches. Hey, y'all have to figure it out. We're going to bring yep. you talented players, figure out how to way to get them in. Get them on they, the field. They got them on the field at guard. And now they're better for it because now they have an asset. Because depending upon what shakes out, if you have a surplus of tackles, you can trade one to get something back at a position where you're lacking. Or you just have a talented offensive line that is able to get it done. I think the one thing that we can see, the teams that are at the top of the mix, we talk about the Dallas Cowboys, the Miami Dolphins, even the Pittsburgh Steelers, they not only invested top picks in the draft at the offensive line, they made sure that they got the right players that that really demanded those grades and were up to snuff when it came to where they were taken at. How about I'm looking at just a couple of these teams. How about the Atlanta Falcons and their turnaround, Bucky? Alex Mack, a huge part of that. They made a huge investment in their offensive line and free agency. The Detroit Lions, you know, one win away from, from winning the division. Uh, if they can beat Green Bay next week, they have a, obviously a play tonight, but uh, it doesn't matter. Tonight's game next week is a winner-take-all contest. They go out and get a, a first-round left tackle in, in Decker, who, who helps uh, fortify their offensive front. So you're seeing teams that have made those investments to Oakland Raiders with mm-hmm. a huge year, you know, probably you know, a real – a real uh, Super Bowl contender. Now they're going to still get in the postseason without the quarterback. We talked about that earlier. But Coleccio Semele, huge investment in free agency, and he looks like the best guard in football the way he played this year. Yeah. Uh, so you've seen those teams. Those those are sound investments there on the offensive line. I, I want to circle back to what we teased a little bit, though. Tyrod Taylor, what the heck did the Bills do with, with him going forward? You know, I think a lot of it depends on the head coach. Um, if the rumblings, like some of the rumblings have been, oh, say the Buffalo Bills move on from – Rex Ryan, but they promote Anthony Lynn to be their head coach. Anthony Lynn obviously has a relationship with Tyrod Taylor. He's built an offense that has helped Tyrod Taylor make some plays and do some special things. Here's what I'll say about Tyrod Taylor and when I've looked at him and when I've looked at him with all the weapons around him. When he's been surrounded by Shady McCoy and Sammy Watkins and Charles Clay and those guys, they've all been on the field together. He looks like an upper echelon quarterback, someone that could probably be a top 15 quarterback. When he doesn't have that, I don't know if Tyrod Taylor can necessarily make your team better. But in this league, when we're saying that in the VIP circle, there may be four or five quarterbacks that are truly elite. He is a winning quarterback. He's young enough. And that cap number that people are cringing at is really not big when you look at the landscape of quarterbacks. If I'm the Buffalo Bills looking at what is coming down the pipeline, Jay Cutler, Tony Romo, Mike Glennon, 
I would be better served to stay with Tyrod Taylor than to take one of those free agent guys or even look in the draft at the Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaisers, and some of the other guys that could be available in the first round. Yeah, think about it, Buck. He's 27 years old, hasn't played a ton of football, um, you know, obviously with a backup there with the Ravens for four seasons. So you've got a guy that just really played for two years, and you look at the numbers that, he, that he's put up. I mean, look, 17-6 and six on touchdown interceptions, over 3,000 yards. So, I mean, it's not the most dynamic thing, but you talk about Sammy Watkins. He's only played six or seven games this year. You, you keep him out there for a full 16, I think you'll see the, you know, the explosive plays go up, um, and you'll see even more improvement for him. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't been great. But he's been he's been better than what your other options are, and that's always what I say say to people, especially you know when we're praising somebody or you, you laud somebody as the best this or the best that. Or we do these top you know ten rookies or top five this or that. The the thing that I think that a lot of people miss is they have their name, you know, like they'll say, okay, well how how the heck does uh, how does JHI not get in the Pro Bowl? Right, heard that a bunch. Had a great year. How does he not get in the Pro Bowl? Well, okay. If you're going to say use that statement, you have to tell me who who you take out. I think uh, that's the big thing. That's the big thing. Like, who don't do that? They who, never do that. They who, never ever say that. Just oh, this guy got screwed. That guy got screwed. Well, then tell me who you would take out. Are you going to tell me Le'Veon Bell, Lashawn McCoy, uh, and and Demarco Murray don't, aren't deserving? Like, which one of those guys are you taking out? I I know. I get it all the time. You know how Twitterverse is. Everyone wants their guy to be in it. And look, I I give Jai credit for what he's done. I give Adam Gase a ton of credit for what they've been able to do because it looked like they were going to struggle and have a poor year, turn it around and play better. But the Pro Bowl thing is supposed to be for special players. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent a little bit because I did this thing in my notebook last week where I studied Pro Bowl rosters. And I don't know if you ever had to do this when you were working with Baltimore or any other teams. But one of the things that we did when I was in Seattle and even in Carolina, when the Pro Bowl was announced, we would look at the names that comprised the roster. We would also go look and see where those guys were drafted. And Mm -hmm. so last Friday I wrote about this as part of my notebook about what scouts can learn from the Pro Bowl. And what I looked and found, 52% of the guys that are in the Pro Bowl were first-round picks. Wow. And half of those, I think it was like like 45 out of 86, half of those guys – were top 10 picks. Mm-hmm. So when you think about how we give grades, because we're about to start grading season in the draft and we're going to have a lot of discussion about how we view players and what grade you would give on, and people are going to say, oh, he got picked. I see him as a first-rounder. What you're trying to do is when you put a grade on somebody, you're trying to project how they're going to play in the league. And that mm-hmm. top 10 territory is supposed to be reserved for special players, transcendent stars, guys that should be top five at their position, Pro Bowl caliber players. And I think in looking at the roster this year, I think it bears out. So when we talk about these quarterbacks and some of these guys that may creep into top 10 contention, I just think it's important that evaluators understand that when you're taking someone in the top 10, they are supposed to play at that Pro Bowl level. And if they don't, then you've kind of overestimated and you've kind of skewed the grade to fill a need as opposed to really grading a player for what he is. And that's exactly – I remember being with teams like, that's exactly what we do now. We didn't necessarily always go off of the Pro Bowl list, but we would go off of our, our pro scout grades. So you have your college scouting department, you have your pro scouting department. So the pro scouting department, not only in charge of free agency and getting that all squared away, they also in charge of, you know, advanced scouting reports for teams you're going to play, as well as grading the entire league. 
So, you know, we would go back through and look at that. Now, the one thing that the one issue I have with the Pro Bowl is that I do think that the guys that were picked in the first round tend to get the first set of eyeballs. Absolutely. And what I mean by that is everybody knows who they are, so they pay attention to them. Now, that can work in your favor or it can work against you. You can't really hide. If you're not playing well with the first-round picks, you're going to get all kinds of heat. But if you have some success, everybody knew about you ahead of time. They're already paying attention. And then as soon as you have your success, you're going to get in the Pro Bowl. Whereas you could be a guy like Kalecio Semley, who is a mid-round pick, who had been playing pretty good throughout his whole career, but people didn't really pay attention to him until his reputation had to build. Does that make any sense? I'm yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Eyeballs on him right from the jump, from a media perspective. Now, your pro scouting department, when you're grading these teams, you might be watching. You know, you might be watching. I'll use another uh, Raven offensive lineman, but Marshall Yonda. You know, you watch him year one. You're like, I don't care if this guy's a third round pick. This guy's one of the best players in the league. You know, but the 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 league knew that well before the media. I think had figured that out. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's interesting. It's it's fascinating how you do that. But I, I was actually. I don't know if it's because we're coming up on the new year and you talk about new year's resolutions and what you want to change and what you want to get better at in, in, in all areas of your life. But um, I've been looking back at a lot of my sequence lists from the last few years and, and really trying to self scout. What, why, what did I get this guy right? Why did I get him wrong? You know, we play hits and misses on the podcast and have fun with it, but there are, uh, there are definitely things that, that I can look at and, and try and learn from the mistakes that I've made. And maybe, maybe we'll do that on a podcast here in, in a couple of weeks, kind of go through, uh, where you know so, some of the huge mistakes that I've made over the last three or four years, mm-hmm. and just you know, it help, I think it helps. It helps any evaluator when you can see what you've what you've uh, you got right and what you got wrong, and and why that is. I think it's a good healthy exercise. No, I think it is. I think uh, as an evaluator, you should always challenge yourself to continue to learn and kind of see what you can um, your missteps, what you underestimated, why certain players playing better than maybe you thought he would. And, and as a collegiate player, is it the system? Has that guy improved? Was it something that you just could not get past that prevented you from putting a grade that maybe he was worthy of? So it is important to go back and look at those things and constantly challenge yourself to see if you can become better as an evaluator because none of us have it right. We're trying to hit a 50% clip. And so if you can hit at a 50% clip in this business, you're doing a pretty good job. And so it is always about trying to figure out where you can improve, what things you can learn, and how the game has continued to evolve as well. All right, a couple more things before we get out of here, Bucky. Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I laugh a little bit on this because, look, we were we were like everybody else. We talked about it early in the year, and I thought it was justified. He was not playing as well at the beginning portion of the season as we were accustomed to seeing from Aaron Rodgers. We kind of looked at it and said, okay, you know, it, at the end of at the end of every discussion, we said the same thing. Every one of his issues is infinitely fixable. Yep. Um, and I thought the number one thing, and I think we even documented this in the video, was just he didn't really have the trust. He wasn't really trusting the guys around him. And some of that maybe was just getting Jordy Nelson back in the fold, get him rolling again. But some of the anticipation that we're accustomed to seeing from, from Aaron Rodgers wasn't there. And then obviously he's corrected it because there is nobody playing at his level. When he's on, when he is on like he is right now, he is the best in the league, and I don't think there's a close second. No, he's the best. He's also the scariest. And the reason teams are fearful of having to face the Green Bay Packers is because you know that Aaron Rodgers single-handedly can lead that offense to 40, 50-plus points. And so no matter how well you play, offensively he can put you in a bind because you just can't slow them down. What I'm seeing from the Green Bay Packers now 
all those young receivers, they're beginning to incorporate into the mix. Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb has been there, Jordy Nelson. But Ty Montgomery going to the backfield and being kind of like that matchup nightmare from the backfield, either as a runner, as a receiver, it has given them another option. They still need to be able to find a way to muster a consistent running game, but with Aaron Rodgers being able to play the way that he's played for years, kind of playing in and out of the pocket, off-platform, second reaction replays, scramble tosses, they are tough to defend. And Jordy Nelson is becoming more comfortable with the knee. You're seeing him begin to have big games. He and Devontae Adams have a ton of touchdowns. The Green Bay Packers are dangerous. I still don't know about their defense, but offensively they're as scary as any unit in football. All right, I went back just through his game logs for fun here. Starting, uh, so week 10 at Tennessee, they lose. They get blown out by the Titans, right, 47 to 25. He has two touchdowns, two picks. Was not a great day for him. Since that day, that was week 10. I'll go week 11 through the end of the season. Uh, uh, week 11, Washington, three touchdowns, no picks. Philly, two touchdowns, no picks. Houston, two touchdowns, no picks. Seattle, three touchdowns, no picks. Chicago, they won no touchdowns uh, for him. I believe he had a rushing touchdown in that game. And then Minnesota, four touchdowns, no picks. Dude has not thrown an interception since November 13th. I mean, he's been on fire. <laughs> I mean, I, how else can you say it? He's been on fire. He's done a, a, a bunch of great things with the ball in his hand, throwing it all over the yard. They have picked up. Their play, and when you and I talk about franchise quarterbacks, and I think that label is kind of overused, part of what you want when you have a franchise quarterback is there's a belief in the building that if you give this guy a shot in a game, that he can get you out of any situation. That is the belief that they have in Lambeau with Aaron Rodgers. They believe in any one-and-done scenario, their quarterback is better than your quarterback, and they can win. And as they continue to win these games, that confidence grows. So if they get in the tournament, they're a dangerous team because that belief uh, can spread like wildfire, and that makes them a very dangerous team because Aaron Rodgers has proven time and time again that he can do it and play at a high level for a sustained period of time. Well, you know the one guy that I forget, and it's funny because this ha- I do this all the time. Uh, because the New England Patriots have reached the this, this status of boringly good um, I mean, it's not their games aren't. I mean, mm-hmm. they just beat everybody they play. When when Tom Brady's healthy, they right. win. I mean, there's nothing more predictable than them winning their division every year. It's just about as easily as predictable as them being in the, in the AFC Championship game. Tom Brady, uh, I think it's just because everything's already set for them. It seems like they already have their the division wrapped up. Maybe we don't pay as much attention to them. But, I mean, I'd say nobody's close to Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, Tom Brady belongs in that discussion. And 25 touchdowns, two picks since he came off suspension. Uh, he's lost one football game since he's been there. So, uh, this season, I think they're the favorites, in my opinion, to win the whole thing. Um, and Tom Brady, it, it, trust me, he definitely belongs up in there in that class with Aaron Rodgers. Well, I think he definitely does. And I do believe they're the favorites to come out of the AFC. The, the thing – about the Patriots, and I will say this, a lot of times their issues won't be exposed until they play a team that is super talented in a playoff game, meaning last year their when kryptonite, they played. Their kryptonite's not going to be in the postseason, Buck. Yep. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right because I felt like the Denver Broncos were the team that matched up with them and didn't have necessarily the fear factor to slow them down. I do believe that there is a point in the playoffs where they're going to miss Rob Gronkowski because when I look at the composition of their roster – I still don't know on the perimeter who is the guy that scares you. Everything is about number 12, and he's able to make up for it. But I still believe at some point you have to have more talented players on the perimeter than the opposition, 
Maybe they can get away with it. Maybe they systematically can carve you up because they've done it throughout the regular season. In the playoffs, though, I just like to believe that, like, the best teams have to overcome some level of adversity, and I just don't know if they can overcome it without Rob Gronkowski in the mix. Yeah, no Rob Gronkowski, but, Bucky, Pittsburgh can't heat him up. I know. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the matchups. If you the can't heat him up, it doesn't matter. The matchups, the matchups are different because Pittsburgh gives them the biggest challenge in terms of attacking their defense and Pittsburgh's offense. But I would say Kansas City – it's probably the best matchup from a defensive standpoint to be yeah. able to slow them down because Kansas City has the ability to lock them up in man-to-man. Defensively, they can heat them up up front. They have safeties in Eric Berry. The problem is on offense, can they score enough points? Yeah, Last no, year, no, I know can't. a lot of people would dismiss that playoff game. That playoff game was kind of competitive up in Gillette. I don't know if they can do it, but I do remember – Kansas City still has confidence because a few years ago they beat them down in their place. I don't think they'd be afraid. I just don't know if they can generate enough points to get in a shootout with the Patriots. All right, Buck, we're, we're running low on time here. One other thing I did want to point out, uh, congratulations to the Cleveland Browns. We picked them a week early. Hey, uh, we but picked I picked them, them again. I picked them again win. last week. I picked them last week. Yeah. Oh, did you pick them again this I week? I did. I did because I had oh, them to lose. Oh, Bucky, well done, my friend. Th- that should give us, like, uh, Marky Billing on podcast, pick them or whatever that is. Yeah, I don't know. My picks usually drag us down on that one. But, uh, no, good good on you for, for calling that one. They get their win, uh, get off, what is it, 20 games they lost in a row? Yeah. But uh, but good for that. But I will say, on the other side of that, the uh, the Chargers, bright spot, terrible year, might lose your team. Joey Bush is good. <laughs> yeah. Nine and a half sacks. The yeah. Teams early year, he's already got nine and a half sacks. I mean – like, they, they have some interesting pieces, and I know it has been kind of heating up about them probably moving on from Mike McCoy at the end of the season. And it's unfortunate that injuries have kind of sabotaged them. But when you lose to the Browns, I mean, you're going to get all that. of that. But I will say that's rough. it is a good job because they have young pieces that you can build around. The quarterback still turns it over a little too much for Mate. Some of that is expected because he doesn't have a lot at times that he's playing with. But I think that's a job where, in the right situation, you can turn that around. You can get back on track. Oh, man, I would love to see um, a couple guys I would love to see that would fit in great with the Chargers. But, you know, they, they've got you know Denzel Perryman's a good player. I think Manti Taylor might be coming up on free agency. But when you look at when you look at their defense right now, right, if you've got Joey Bosa, who's a – Joey Bosa really throw anger. Their whole defensive line is really good. But mm-hmm. Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, that's a heck of a pair coming off the edge, right? Uh, Legion's a good player inside. Meebane's good. So they're good there. F- front level, outstanding. The, at the, at the, in the secondary, now you've got Casey Hayward, who's played great this year, going to the Pro Bowl. You get Jason Verrett back off injury next year. Yep. Uh, now, what if you had a chance? We, we can't go into the names of these kids because they're underclassmen, but if you're the Chargers, what if you said uh, – well, actually, this one is a senior. What if you, what if you went and got Reuben Foster? Mm-hmm. in this draft and threw him in the middle of that defense. Absolutely. Holy crud, would he look good. And the other one is, what if you just said, all right, we're going to go get the best safety, one of the top. This, this draft is loaded with safety. There are a ton of different making safeties. What if they got a safety to throw in that secondary with those two corners to kind of kind of just clean up everything? Um, there's one that we both love that can play up, that can play back. Absolutely. He's the dude. So, uh, man, that, that's an exciting, uh, exciting piece they could add to that defense to make it really a dominating defense. 
And if you wanted to give the uh, if you want to give the quarterback another weapon, how about throwing? Uh, you know, I won't say his name, but he plays for Clemson and wears number seven. He gets um, his, He yeah, he, he looked pretty good out there. He he, he would. You know, the, the the thing that I'll say, like, and even in thinking about the Chargers, what I would like to see them, and I know um, Philip Rivers is an outstanding guy, but I think, as you pointed out, the talent that is on their team, I think they kind of have to need to shift the way they play a little bit yes, to yes. be a little more power and defense, power football. Look, you still have the big time quarterback, but let's not make it the Phillip Rivers show every week. Let's see if we yeah. can grind it out a little bit, play good defense and then have Phillip be the guy that he can, he can take over if we need to, if they play like that, I think they can be a team that can get right back in the postseason mix and be a legitimate team because I like the young talent that they have on, on defense. I just think they need to change a little bit of how they approach the game offensively, and maybe some of that has to do with their offensive line and some of that stuff. But if they do that, I think they can get right back in the picture. Yeah, let's just solve their problems right now. Let's get one of those defensive studs we talked about in the first round. Let's come back in the second round, get one of the top interior offensive linemen uh, to plug in and and help you out in in that regard. And then in the third round, let's go get another uh, pass catcher. You're going to get Keenan Allen back healthy. You you know how different that team's going to look with Keenan Allen, Jason Brett, Danny Woodhead. All those different pieces. Obviously, Melvin Gordon uh, did not play the other day uh, at running back. He had him back healthy. Hunter Henry another year in. Um, so I mean, look, that, that team is again. There's there's some optimism there. Yeah, having a great year. We touched on a couple teams like that: Arizona, Jacksonville, San Diego. There's there's some reason for hope there going into the future. No question. Hasn't been a good year for those teams, but uh, there's there's talent there. Absolutely, it's it's it's, it's um, op- optimism there for a quick rebuild. Hey, real quick before the show, we talked about Andrew Luck. And some of the yeah. things that you you you'd seen from him, disappointing or not, what's your stance on Andrew Luck and where he kind of stacks right now? Well, you know, I remember the the debate with Joe Flacco. Everybody got sick of is Joe Flacco elite. You know, mm-hmm. go there. I mean, look, I, I hate the word elite, but when I stack up the best quarterbacks in the league, I don't I don't think Andrew Luck quite belongs in that top 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 group. Um, I, you know, just every game that you watch, he does some unbelievable things. Um, but he has two or three just head-scratching throws. He just doesn't protect the football. Had two picks again this last week against the Raiders. One of them is just kind of a head-scratcher down there in the red zone. Um, but, no, I think he's really good. I just don't think when you talk about the, the Manning, the uh, the Rodgers, I mean, yeah, sorry, not Man Peyton Gondon, but you talk about uh, mm-hmm. Tom Brady, you talk about Roethlisberger, you talk about Aaron Rodgers, you talk about Drew Brees, those guys up there in that mix. I don't think he belongs in that discussion with that guy. I think he's in that that next tier. I mean, we we talked about it earlier. I would take I'd take uh, Russell Wilson over him right now. Uh, some of those other guys are right. Yeah, because I I think I think you can make he's more like Kirk. What's the difference between him and Kirk Cousins right now? As crazy as that sounds, I think you actually can make that argument. Is Andrew Luck a top ten quarterback? Like, is he a top ten quarterback? Would you rather have Andrew Luck or Matt Ryan? Would you rather have Andrew Luck or Derek Carr? You know, as you go down the list. Is he one of those guys that's going to be in that conversation? I think he's kind of enjoyed a magic carpet ride up the top of the charts where we kind of anointed him as the, as the next coming. And some of that is due to our draft grades on him prior to. But when you really look at it, what has he done the last two years to really merit being in that conversation as one of those guys? How about this number right here? Uh, over the last two years, okay, Kirk Cousins, Last year, 29 touchdowns, 11 picks, 4,100 yards. He had five rushing touchdowns last year, Buck, five. Mm-hmm. This year, 
you look at Kirk Cousins, he's got 4,600 yards with a game to go. I mean, last year he completed 70% of his passes. This year he's at 67. 4,600 this year, 24 touchdowns, only 10 picks. He has four more rushing touchdowns. He's got nine rushing touchdowns in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying it's, it, people kind of have – you have your bias and you're kind of married to your college grade or this, what, that or whatever. And uh, But, I mean, Kirk Cousins, you can look at his numbers pretty much across the board. Um, it's better. And this is my other argument, and we've talked about it before. Other people are now, I think, starting to point out. I saw, I think, Nick Wright maybe had tweeted it out the other day. But to all the people out there that say the common the common thing is, oh, Andrew Luck's a one-man band. It's just him. I mean, oh, that's, no. that's a one that's a one-win team. With it. No, 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 no. Last year, I believe they were two and five with Luck. <laughs> he got hurt. Hasselbeck came in there. They were something like six and three without him. Yeah, it's a nice narrative, but the story is not accurate when you talk about him being a one-man gang. Um, you can you can point to the amount of picks and capital that they surrounded by the first round players that they put around them, what they've tried to do in the passing game. They haven't been able to necessarily generate the running game, but he certainly has enough weapons where you can say, "Nah, Andrew, you can't. I need more." And when you are the highest paid player at the position, the expectation is to deliver more. So, I think the criticism is just. I think we have to talk about him being a guy that has to play better. He needs to play better as the franchise quarterback, like there's a level and a standard of play that you expect from a guy that is paid what he's paid. And so I, I think we're right. And I do believe it's debatable whether he's a top 10 quarterback in our league. And by the way, r- rushing wise, they have done a better job of that lately. I mean, Frank Gore's played better. They're the 21st rushing team in the league. Okay. Not yep. great, but that's more middle of the pack than it is at the, you know, they're not like 30th, 31st, you know, down there in that, in that territory, 21st. And, and I don't think that he's got nearly as much pressure on him. I know the sacks are high from early in the year, but since they put the young guys in there, no sacks against that Raider group uh, last week. I know he was under some pressure, but uh, he has not. When you just look at the total number of sacks over the last six or seven games, not that many. They've no. run the ball better. They've done a better job of protecting him. No, I'm not saying Andrew Luck's not a good player. He's really good. He just – you're right. When you start stacking up the list of quarterbacks, I don't know that he's uh, – He's up there in that top, top tier group. But in, in looking at all the numbers that we just discussed, I think the biggest wow to me, and maybe the most underrated, is that is that fact that uh, Kirk Cousins has nine rushing touchdowns in the last two years. That's nuts. No, it is bananas. The fact that they've been able to get away with some quarterback draws, some zone replays, more athletic than maybe people imagine. I think the big thing with, with, with Kirk Cousins and what people have to kind of determine if you're Washington, you have to figure out how can I build a team around him because once he commands that kind of dollar, we have to make some decisions on the outside. Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon are up. Which one of those guys do we keep or do we try and find another playmaker? Uh, it's just important that you give him everything that he needs to be able to play at that level. And I don't think that's any different than any other quarterback. I just think it's important that how do they allocate their dollars to make sure that if you commit the Kirk Cousins as your long-term franchise quarterback, that you give him everything that he needs so he can play at the level that you're expecting him to play at. No question. Well, look, that was fun, Buck. I'm, uh, and by the way, one, one underrated uh, aspect of Christmas here that I did not account for. Man, how long has it been since you had to teach a kid how to ride a bike? Oh, wow. <laughs> Bucky, Bucky, I feel like, I mean, I feel like I just did squat to drop. Like, I feel like I did some hellacious <laughs> weight, weight workout. You don't realize when you're hunched over, and and other thing, my right forearm is killing me because you're at, at the back holding on to that butt. You're holding on to the yeah. the the the, uh, the the bike seat. Yes. So that thing's waving. That's a heck of a forearm workout. And then you're you're crouched over, and you're, we have a little a park with a big circle drive. You know, so I'm 
running around around that circle. So I'm just running around there, hunched over. Oh, Buck, I feel like I've been hit by a bus. <laughs> well, hopefully they're quick studies. They pick it up real quick, and you don't have to run around behind them the entire day. Yeah, no, I think today for day two, I think I switch over to the left hand and try and steady that steady that seat with my left hand, just trying to balance out the workout a little bit. But uh, <laughs> no, it was hey, look, it was a great Christmas for the Jeremiah's. I'm glad you guys had a great time as well, Buck. We uh, we're going to be off and, and rolling here on bowl games. Although I know you've got our previews this week. We got it. We got uh, you. Got a heck of a replacement for me coming in to knock these previews out. Yeah, so Matt, coming back to the show. Yeah, Matt Money Smith is going to come in and stand in for you. We'll see if he can hold down the fort because the standard is high on that side of the room. But uh, it should be fun. It'll be fun to uh, chop it up with Money. I'm sure he'll have a discussion about some off the wall topics, maybe some mascots or two, <laughs> and he will always have a funny story. Oh no, Money's the best. So appreciate that. Appreciate him coming in there. Uh, we'll talk to to the listeners before the new year. So happy new year. We'll be back. I'll be back next week, but like Bucky said, him and Money will we'll hold it down for the rest of this week. We'll have tons of, of college bowl games, and the playoffs will be set. We'll have lots to talk about next week. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for, for leaving us reviews on, on iTunes. We do appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Monogram at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.